Yesterday we explored how the way that God relates to us is always in covenant. That God is a, a covenant maker. That when he, he makes you the object of his love, he does so with a commitment. And these covenants are basically clearly defined and agreed upon boundaries. That's what we've been talking about so much in the second half of our Discern series. That if you don't know where you begin and where you end and others begin and end, you have a life without boundaries. But a life without boundaries is a life that cannot experience a healthy spiritual discernment. It's a life without wisdom. It's not a life that's competent in regards to how life really works. And nothing is more important than understanding where God, God sets his boundaries, where God establishes his boundaries. When you come into relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he extends his covenantal boundaries over you for your provision, for your protection. And within those boundaries, he gives you incredible permission that leads to freedom and, and satisfaction. But even more than that, it's being within his boundaries, being under the umbrella of his covenantal love and his sovereign authority. God wants to be the one that enforces the boundaries around your life and the borders of who you are as a person. See, to, you, to him, you are precious, you are important, you matter. You're made in his image. And you've been redeemed by the blood of what is most dear to him, his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how are we to respond to this covenant-making God and to his boundaries? Well, in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, we see someone's heart cry about this relationship between the boundaries of God and the boundaries of us as persons. In worship, in prayer, the psalmist says, take your rightful place as Lord of my life. Listen to what he says. It's his prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In Psalm 139, there is a whole lot of teaching and, and that, that's in this prayer, that's in this worship about how you know, the, uh, a searching has gone on of ourselves. You know, and many of us, if we're really trying to do spiritual discernment, have been searching our own hearts. And this psalm begins to unpack something that's, that's key to God's work in your life, God establishing and enforcing the boundaries of, of your life. And what makes this prayer so excellent is the sincerity in which it's being prayed. I've searched my own life in many ways, he says, but that's not enough. I've tried to protect my own boundaries, but that's not enough. He's saying, search me, O God. 
See, someone who loves sin could not possibly pray, who loved their sin and protected their sin and was hiding, could possibly pray, search me, O God. Because then you would, you would know that you would, all of the hidden places, all the closets, all the secrets would be exposed. So, he's saying, see if there be. I, I've been working hard on bringing my life into a place of an alignment with your will, but now I realize that I can't see what, what you can see. So, even like Peter said when Jesus was asking him, Simon Peter, do you love me? At one point, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Why are you asking me this, this question? And you can see Peter is very, he, he, he's rattled by the question. And so, you know, when we pray, search me, O God, it, it has to come from this place of sincerity. It has to come from a place of willingness, not willfulness. Uh, in no way can this man be saying this and, and think himself sinless. No. He knows that there are things he can't see and that only can be found if he can pray. So, one of the things that we begin to realize is even as you begin to establish boundaries and you begin to try to get healthy in terms of your discernment, your own searching of your own heart is not sufficient. Now, here's the thing. Um, if you are searching in sincerity to bring your life in alignment with God's will, if you're searching in sincerity be, to be a person of spiritual discernment, then you're going to uncover some things about yourself. And sometimes there are things everybody else but you knew. Um, there are people that I've worked with in ministry, particularly leaders and pastors, who virtually seem to have no self-awareness, had no idea of how they abused their power, how controlling they were, how manipulative they were, and yet were often in, seat, in positions where they you know, had the lives and, and ministry of others in their hands. So I'm not, I, you know, the person who prays this prayer, and it's gonna be effective, cannot be a person who has just turned off to the things they don't want to see or to the things that they're not willing to deal with. I've even seen, I, I've even seen some people that have been colleagues that, that went, went away and God spoke to them very clearly about an area of their life uh, that they needed to see transformation in. And they came back and told me, you know, God told me I need to make some adjustments and get some development in this. And they did one little thing or two little things and they went right back to their default setting. Uh, it's easy to see with somebody like that who's not willing to be self-aware, who's not willing to see the negative, not willing to see the dysfunction or the brokenness and maybe even the abuse that they're doing to other, other people, that our own searching is not sufficient. Now, it's easy to say for those who are totally you know, lacking in self-awareness, but this psalm is saying all of us have to, even if you feel like, well, you know, I'm very self-aware. I'm really working on understanding my boundaries. This psalm is saying we have to, with sincerity and willingness, say, no matter how much we search, how much we read, we need God to search our hearts. 
we need to understand what he understands about the places where we make mistakes or places where we're drawn to meet the needs of our life in these illegitimate ways. I mean, there are many people who have very secret places in their life, hidden places, and even unknown faults to everybody else. The Bible is really clear that, that the heart is deceitful. I, you know, obviously Satan himself is known as the deceiver, but he has a willing ally in us because we're willing to be self-deceived. So if you really want spiritual discernment, you have to realize your own search is insufficient. Your search of your own heart, your own motives, insufficient. So the psalmist really lays out three areas where only God can fully probe into the, the deep motives and deep you know, um, wounds and, and difficulties, broken places of your life. So he says, in the heart is the first place. Search me in my, in my heart. Our life is visible to others and to ourselves, and our words audible, but our heart, our hearts are neither visible. The seeds of conduct and character are so minute, so seemingly insignificant. Our motives are of such mingled, mixed nature, even chameleon-like, that we are often baffled by our own hearts. And so we say, Lord, search my heart. But then he says, try my anxious thoughts. He's saying they need to be tried. They often seem right when they are not so. Even someone as despicable in his actions as Judas, who betrayed the Lord, he was self-deceived. Of course, the enemy was, was uh, tempting him and deceiving him. But he didn't do it against Judas's will. He, Judas was passionate that he was right when all that he was doing was evil. And if you ask God, try my anxious thoughts, not just search my heart, but try my anxious thoughts, then he's always going to put you into places that reveal yourself to yourself. It's always interesting people who say, oh, God, give me patience. And then suddenly what happens is instead of getting patience, they begin to see how little patience they have because the events of life go in a way that they don't expect. That's because God is... He's, he's testing whether or not we really mean it when we say try our anxious thoughts. Because he's got, once you say that, he's going to reveal your thoughts and you're going to have to decide, will I discern rightfully? Will I let him transform me? Will I take these thoughts and will I give them to him and let healing come? You know, he does this never to embarrass you. He doesn't do it to pressure you. I've seen him reveal... Uh, deep truths to people about their anxious thoughts and they just rejected him and said no to him. You see, he wants us to willingly then say, this isn't working for me. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change. I'm going to be transformed. And not only does he deal with our heart, those, those deep modes, motives and seeds of what becomes uh, our actions, not only does he want to have his anxious thoughts tried, but he also says that, it, that his way of living, his ways, 
See if there be any wicked way in me or any offensive way in me. You know, this is an interesting thing is, is that we can be hurting people and not even know it. Thinking we might be being loving or thinking that we might be doing what's best for them and yet we can still be doing things that hurt them. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Not just in our heart, not just in our thoughts, but we can even miss in terms of how we're acting. We can miss how we're not, li we're not living or, or evidencing this covenantal love that has embraced us. One writer said it this way, the prayer confesses that a, man's, that a, a person's ways are in that person before this person is in those ways. In other words, there were evil ways. Well, it's easier if I keep it in the, the male pronoun here. So let me do it again. The prayer confesses that a man's ways are in him before he is in them. There were evil ways he knew behind him, and he had gone in them, around him. Many were going in them, before him, seeking to attract him. See, that might not be the easiest way to explain this, but that, that's a powerful, it's, a, it's an old theologian's description, but um, it's a powerful description. In other words, See, what we see a lot of times is we see the end of the behavior, or we see the end or consequences of the choices. But what we don't realize is that kind of all around us are these things that are, in a way, waiting, being provided for, surrounding us, that are saying, walk this way. Do this. And, and, and it's not just the like the, the, the final act that, act that is the sin, but it's actually, it's actually the sin before the sin in a way. It's there, there's a sin behind the sin. And the, the, the ultimate thing is this, is that we have things in our heart where God is not ultimate, where God is not our source, where we haven't become indifferent to anything but His will. And so this is, this is actually asking for more than just, okay, Lord, make sure that what I end up doing isn't shameful or make sure that what I'm doing doesn't end up destructive. This is saying, open my eyes to see all the things around me that are pulling me into ways that are destructive. Open my eyes to the hooks in me that attach to these things that are not your will for me. And so in a way, it's, it's really saying, get this out of me. Get this affinity out of me. Make it within me to where what I'm hooked to, what I'm, what I'm all about, is your will and your will alone. And, and don't let there be any of these leaky places, none of these access places where the ways of the world, the ways of, of the flesh, or the ways of Satan are overcoming me. So Lord, my heart, my thoughts, my ways, I'm opening the door and I'm giving you access to all of these. Do you understand? This is an incredible prayer of faith. It's not passivity saying, you know, I'm not going to do anything. No, it's saying, I'm doing something, but what I'm doing is not sufficient. And what I need is I need him 
to be to be in these deep places with me of my heart, my thoughts, and my ways. And what's the, what's the ultimate end? Well, I want to be led in the way everlasting. So he's saying, you see, the reason I want to get rid of these ways that are not God's ways is that those ways are not satisfying. They're not the way of the everlasting God. He's saying all joy, goodness, and strength or in the ways of the everlasting God. So within the covenant bonds, within the, the arms embracing me of his everlasting love, his committed love to me, then I will really find what my heart desires. And then you see what will happen is, I, and he talks about this in the psalm, but there'll be space to bless others. There'll be space to love others, to be a, love your spouse, to love your family, to love your friends, to love your work. Because you're, you're operating in, within the ways of, of the everlasting one. And that will glorify God like nothing else. And he's basically saying, lead me. He's saying, I can't do this on my own initiative. You have to, I have to be led. That's spiritual discernment. He's asking for spiritual discernment. He says, many people see these, can see these everlasting ways, but they do not walk in them. And, and the psalmist is saying none can really walk in them unless they've surrendered to being led in them, which he is most willing to do. So what is this saying? Well, it's saying God's desire for you is to know where your injuries, your deficits are. This is the heart. Whether they were self-induced or whether they were induced by others, God wants to shed light on your most significant relationships and on the forces that have contributed to any way that it's fuzzy where you end and where you begin and it's fuzzy to you where God's covenantal embrace now encompasses you for provision and protection. In some ways what the psalmist is also saying in the psalm is the past can be an ally to you to repair your present and to ensure a better future. In other words, if he's searching, he's searching what has already happened to you. He's searching what has already gone on in your life. And so, this is, this is I guess to me, this is pretty fascinating, is in verse 1 of Psalm 139, he says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. The original Hebrew word means to dig. So, you know, and usually it's not applied to the heart. It's applied to the search for precious metals. So God has, in your life, you know, when you're saying search me, you're asking the one who has dug so deeply to find what is precious in you. He's penetrated far below the surface of your actions and your words so that he actually is the one who knows you perfectly. He knows Verse 2 of Psalm 139, he knows when you rest and he knows when you work. And interesting is that in all the things going on in your life, the psalmist says that he's been winnowing out all of the, you know, the weeds, the chaff, to actually find what is your whole life, to get rid of everything that's not your life, to only bring out the truest of who you are and what's most precious about you. 
See, even before you knew it and all of your past, he's been separating the evil from the good as a chaff is separated from the wheat. And verse 3 says, he's been doing it when you were in the dark and he's been doing it when you're in the light. He says, in the night or in the day. He not only knows what, you're, what you do speak, he knows what you're going to speak and he knows why you say it. Everything that is behind you, he knows, and everything that is before you. And so, it's interesting, isn't it? The, all of this psalm talks about what God knows about you. But the conclusion of the psalm reflects that as much as God understands and knows me, I don't understand and know me sufficiently. And so he prays, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the life everlasting. Well, in some ways, this is, there's a big summary here of the covenantal relationship with God. And this is really, this is really what the Bible is about. It's about God speaking to us relationally, not, not religiously or morally or theologically only as a science but rather speaking of how you have relationship, how you are led in the way everlasting. And in order to be led, you, you have to give him access to the heart, to the thoughts, to your ways. God is, this is the whole of the Bible is, is, is God's desire for relationship with people, with you. And his work in your life even now is to heal that relationship, to heal your, your heart, to heal your thoughts, to heal your ways. Not just, you know, how they end up, but that there's a way behind the way. This is so important we get this. That there, yes, I see the shameful things or I see the bad choices I've made. I've seen that. But have I seen the why? Have I seen what was lurking there? What I had given access to? And so God, the relational God, wants to get into those deep places. He wants to dig deep. Does he have a right to? Yeah, he's the creator. Can he do it? Of course. He's a ruler who ultimately controls and governs the world. But not only is he transcendent and all-powerful, but he's near. Scripture says he's our redeemer. You know, he can be as close to us as a brother and yet be as high as the sovereign king of the universe. That this sovereign king who's all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere present also is your redeemer. He's the one who has dug into your life to find precious gold, silver, diamonds. God is the redeemer. He finds, he saves, he heals anyone who will turn to him who is lost and who is in bondage. Think about Jesus' own words to the lawyer. Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your, all your, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, Jesus said. You understand the entirety of Scripture communicates a message of love. In other words, even if what you're doing 
is not coming from a heart that's been healed of its brokenness and its woundedness and its self-centeredness and selfishness, then even the good things you're doing are not for the love that matters or out of the love that matters. In other words, everything ends up being what Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Is this difficult? Yes, that's why we need to say, search me, O God. And again, why is it so difficult? Again, because I don't always know where I end and where I begin, and I don't know really always what my responsibilities are to people. Things get fuzzy. I could be a controller. I could be a person who's non-responsive, who can't, in a way, say yes to anyone. I could be an avoidant that doesn't let anybody in. I could be a people pleaser that doesn't know how to say no to anybody. Any of those things keep me from actually being loving and actually means that the way I love is destructive instead of life-giving. So boundaries matter. God himself has designed the world so that these boundaries are to be respected. That's what a covenant is. It's a boundary of his love. It's a boundary of his commitment to us. And he expects that we would respect his boundaries. And he makes our boundaries matter and will enforce these boundaries. Think about this. God, within your, the boundaries of your life, has assigned and given you talents and skills and opportunities for education and all these other things because he wants you to have work that's meaningful for you to do. At times, God will allow the consequences of our bad choices to have an effect on us in such a way that we will wise up and we will change. But the scripture says he's not willing that any should perish. God in no way ever enjoys and takes no pleasure in anyone's destruction. But you see, change isn't change in the spiritual realm unless it's a willing change. He doesn't threaten us. He doesn't pressure us. He doesn't fix us. But he puts us in positions to see the ways of our life that are so destructive. And he gives us an invitation in the way everlasting. The problem is that he will always have to be the leader in the way everlasting. You can't lead him. He has to lead you. And there are many times when you, you might think that, you know, he's put you in a position or a place that's just too difficult and he doesn't seem to be rescuing us. And yet there is such a thing, friends, as faith mus muscles, spiritual muscles, of beginning to learn how in things that are bigger than you, God-sized sort of situations and circumstances and people that the Holy Spirit has brought into your life who are annoying or irritating, even they are the curriculum of the Holy Spirit to give you spiritual muscles, to give you faith muscles. If God is not rescuing you from something, it's because he has plans for that. If God in his power could prevent something, then in his wisdom, and he's not, then in his wisdom he's permitting something so that we can learn, so that we can grow. He will not give you one minute more of humiliation than necessary or one minute more of pain than is necessary 
to make you into the person that he's always destined you to be. Here's an interesting thing with God. It's something that maybe we take for granted. But do you realize that God hears and respects when you say no? He doesn't control you. He doesn't nag you. He allows you to say no and go your own way. Think of the story of the prodigal son. He said no to his father's life and to his father's direction and went his own way. Or there's a story of the rich young ruler in which Jesus says, will you give up everything that you have and sell it to the poor? And, and you know, knowing that he really loved his money and his control and his power more than, and position more than anything else, the rich young ruler said no. Or even at times with the story of the people of the Old Testament, all you have to do is read in Joshua or read in different times where it was clear what God's direction was, and yet the people said no. They made their own minds up. When God, I, I don't fully understand this. I'm not saying I fully understand. I'm just saying it's a reality. That when you say no to God, he allows you to say that no, but he doesn't suddenly withdraw his covenant from you. You see, in a way, by making this promise, by loving you in this legal way, he has said, I can't unlove you even when you say no to me. But he allows us many times to discover, in painful ways even, how his way is the only way. See, I, in some ways, I, I don't think it's because we're so smart that we begin to say, I want to be indifferent to anything but the will of God. I think it's because you, you finally crashed and burned enough and you did so many stupid things and wrong things that eventually say, you know, God's way is the only way of life. The disciples at one point, when everybody left Jesus, Jesus said, will you leave me also? And they said, where else can we go? Who else has the words of life? But it's interesting, is God wants you to willingly choose and will give you the space, even by allowing you to say no, so that you're willing to do so. I love how honest the prodigal son was. He said, I don't want to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. But Jesus tells another parable of two sons, and there's one son who says yes to the father. That he's going to work all day in the vineyard, but he never shows up. So he says yes, but he acts out no. I, I've met people in churches. I've been in church my whole life. At times I myself, uh, you know, I've said yes because I was afraid of the consequences, but I really didn't want to do it. And so I didn't really do it. So we can say yes, but act out no. See, I think God prefers an honesty. Even if you're going to say no to him, say it to him boldly. Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. We would be better off if we would just say an honest no to whatever God is asking. See, if I'm being honest, then my repentance from my no becomes equally honest. See, the, the kind of living in the fuzziness of, of saying yes to God but living no is not a place of repentance and it's not a place of... of it's not a sweet place to live. It's not the way everlasting. See, the way everlasting is to realize maybe I, I started out saying no to God, 
but I've realized this isn't the way everlasting. And now my yes to God has real meaning because I was honest about my no. Well, here's what God wants more than I can understand. He wants to enforce the boundaries and the borders of your life to establish you as a person of infinite worth because you're made in His image and you're redeemed by the blood of His dear Son. Allowing Him to define the space of your life, the boundaries, these borders, can make life incredibly fulfilling. Not obeying and understanding God's own boundaries of His covenant love and where He gives you permission, there you have true freedom to live. Not understanding that makes life very less fulfilling. See, we've experienced the fullness of life that Jesus speaks of when we live within the boundaries of God and the boundaries of His covenant and His love for our life. So are there places where either you're saying no to God that you need to realize that's not the way everlasting? Are there places where you're not observing the boundaries of your own life and letting God be the one who protects you and provides for you? and gives you freedom within those boundaries. Is there a way you can shift your perspective and say, any boundary God has is a boundary of life. And any boundary that I have as a person where I need to say yes or I need to say no, God himself will enforce and protect me. See, in the end, he's going to have the final say about all things. But right now, I mean, there's going to come a time where, where involuntarily every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Right now he's saying, will you let me enforce the boundaries of your life? And will you keep the boundaries of your life within the boundaries of my covenant love for you? And anywhere there's resistance, anywhere there's saying, God, I love you, but... Lord, I, I say yes, but I can't say yes to this. Or any place you're saying, no, God, will you, say, will you just hold it up to him and say, I, I, search me, oh God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a biblical prayer. That means it is the will of God for you to pray it, which means he will answer it. If you ask anything in accordance with his will, the Bible says, he will do it. God bless you.